So, today's talk is from one of our ancestors of New Thought, Thomas Troward. And I never knew a lot about Thomas Troward, but what, what I have discovered is a lot of our philosophers, they studied Thomas Troward. I remember Krista Erickson in her talk, she said she studied them all and Thomas, she had to draw the line in Thomas Troward because he, he just went to strange places. Well, the, the, the thing is, so many of our ancestors of New Thought they, they were in need of a healing, in dire need of a healing. And so they came at it from a different way. They, they went more towards religion and metaphysics as opposed to uh, intellectual metaphysics. As Eric Butterworth said, Thomas Troward is significant probably more than any other way because he did not articulate a metaphysical interpretation of a religious view. I like to put it that way. And most, most of our new thought history is that. And so uh, Mr. Rutterworth says he was the exact opposite of Mary Baker Eddy, in a sense the opposite of Phineas Quimby, because he was their contemporary. Like Troward, Quimby was scientific in his teaching, but Quimby employed religious language, because religious language was what caused people to become ill. And religious language was what they knew. Mary Baker Eddy's success also depended on the communicating her teaching through the religious culture in which her parents lived. You know, we, unity, we do it. We do it through religion in many ways, even though I wouldn't call us religious. Thomas Troward, however, spoke to a culture and intellectual environment free from religious thinking. And there's lots of Thomas Troward books out there. There's lots online. You can look up all of the people I've been talking about. You can find out a lot more about them than what I have done in 25-minute talks. And, and I recommend that you do. Because they offer a pathway to a freedom of thinking. You know, to relieve us of, of as, as we've heard, uh, the bondage of self. Where we think everything is about us. So Thomas Troward was born in 1847 of British parents in India. His father was a full colonel in the Indian Army. And he was brought back to England in 1865 to attend school in the study of law. And in 1869, at the age of 22, he returned to India, where he served as a judge for 25 years until his retirement at age 55 at 1902. He then returned to England where he devoted himself to the study of scripture, metaphysics, and painting until his death in 1916, the age of 69. Uh, Mark Hicks, who wrote, who, who writes a lot for, it's his website, truthunity.org, he, uh, he, he wrote this, he said, My opinion is that Quimby and Eddie spoke to those for whom truth was revealed. And Troward spoke to those for whom truth was discovered. The patients of Quimby and Eddy were from a traditional worldview, and the patients of Troward were from a modern point of view. Both are valid. This is what's important here. The mistake we too often make today is assuming that all arrive at truth in the same way. We're different people. And that's why some respond to visuals, some respond to hearing, some respond to reading. For, for instance, 
I don't really, I really don't like to be read to. David will say, oh, listen to this, and he'll want to read a passage from a book, and I'm... <laughs> and I say, let me read it myself. And I, I find the points. But reading it to me, I just, ooh, yeah, I, it loses me. A friend of mine has written a book, uh, and that's not top to bottom. <laughs> it's the thickness. And, I've, and he likes to read it to people. And I always say, let me read it myself. Oh, no, no, you'll like it. I start falling asleep. Even though I like this person, I find this person fascinating. Till they read their story to me. And I thought, oh, I don't care anymore. Even, and it's like, I ask specifically for what I want. I know myself. Other people, they, they, need, they would like a video. They would like this or that. Uh, so we all have different ways of coming to the truth, capital T truth, to coming to principle and understanding that which is, uh, that does not change. In case anybody's forgotten what truth is. Truth is that, the principle which does not change. But the way we get to it does. Uh, what I always say is, God is truth. God is principle. God is love. God does not change. But my understanding of God does. Love does not change, but my understanding of it does. The essence of my being does not change, but my understanding of it does. And so uh, my body, I don't, my body does change. My body is so not truth. My body is so not principle. It has changed radically. Radi otherwise, my poor mother. I mean, it's, uh, it, it has changed radically since my birth. And, and so my body has never been truth. But it is carrying around a lot of information of truth principles. My mind carries it around. And it is my thought that when my body is no longer here, the truth principles within me will still exist. Because truth isn't going anywhere. The divine idea that made my body will not disappear. Just as the divine idea that made your bodies, that made this room, that made these chairs. The divine idea is always present. Even if the physical thing changes or disappears entirely. And so well, we can always create another chair. I don't know that we can create another Sean, another Nancy, another Wayne, what have you. Uh, I don't know that we can create another one of us. And, and you know, it's funny, when we talk about reincarnation, we speak as if we're going to come back with this same personality or that we existed before with this same personality and these same ideas. And I don't think there's a one of us in this room that is aware of having lived before and being who you are right now. If there is, I'd like to hear from you. I want, I want more information. <laughs> and, and so to, to look at that, that sort of thing... And, and remember, religion has changed so radically <clears throat> since time began. And people have been coming to truth principles through all sorts of different ways of worship and active participation. <clears throat> I always say most religious orders are flawed. And there's a reason for that. They're run by people. Mm -hmm. People are flawed. They are perfect in God, but they are flawed in their demonstration of themselves. We forget so much hourly 
hourly would forget. Just, you know, if I drop this on the, on the floor, suddenly I could forget what I'm talking about. I could forget every principle that I believe in. Oh, I dropped this on the floor in front of everybody, and now they're all thinking this about me. And that's something, really, you're not thinking much about me at all. You're thinking about yourselves and what you're hearing today. And why wouldn't you be? Well, you should be. Stop looking at me. No. <laughs> no, look at me. I didn't wear a shirt this color to not be looked at. <laughs> so, Mr. Troward said this, and it's our talk title today, Because I am what I am. Because I am. We're not singing that song today. Because I am what I am, it kind of let me know before he left town two weeks ago. He said, I don't want to come to fly back late Saturday night and have to sing that song. Uh, so I said, don't worry, you're off the hook. Uh, because I am what I am, I may be what I will to be. Do you understand? I will myself to be this. I will myself to be that. My individuality is one of the modes in which the infinite expresses itself. And therefore... I am myself, that very power, which I find to be the innermost within of all things. That's a lot of words. They want affirmation. No wonder Krista gave up on him. You watch it, Krista. Uh, but I'm going to read it again. Because I am what I am. I may be what I will to be. My individuality is one of the modes in which the infinite expresses itself, and therefore I am myself, that very power. I am, I leave the myself out, I am that very power, which I find to be the innermost within of all things. I am the power within everything that I see, that I, that I experience, really. It's not that I see, it's that I experience. How? Because, you see, without myself, how could I experience anything? We all had a different interpretation of the song Nancy just sang. Her singing of it, the writing of it, the playing of it, the music of it. We all were in that song ourselves because we were interpreting it. We were experiencing it while she was up here. And so to realize, oh, I'm more connected than what I think. I'm more connected to everything because I have thoughts about it. I create my experience by thinking about it. And, and we, we, you know, we go and blame, we blame people for the, you know, they talk to us this way, but it's my experience of what they're saying. And that experience is not based on what they're saying. It's based on what I think about what they say. And it's, doggone it, makes it harder if I could just shut them up. But no, that's not the, I'll find somebody else to say it to me so I can be annoyed. So I can experience it as painful. Freedom is a very, very horrifying thought. <laughs> because then there's nobody to blame. There's nobody to hold accountable for my, my ennui, my, uh, my confusion, my uh, resistance. There are things I don't want to hear. We've been watching The Godfather. We watch, there's a new series out called The Offer, which is fascinating at all, about the making of the movie on Paramount. It's delightful. It's 10 episodes, and it's like, ooh. And I was already a fan. But we were watching part, Godfather Part 2 last night, and there's a scene where 
Al Pacino as Michael comes home to his wife. And Diane Keaton, his wife, she's trying to explain something. She said, about your son. Your son is having this problem. He said, I, I don't want to know about it. Stop telling you, I don't want to know about it. And it's like, he didn't want to know there's an issue, that his son could have an issue. Because it, what that would mean is that he's not a good father. If his child has a problem, well, he has a parent who's never at home, could be part of that problem. I don't want to, and he's screaming, I don't want to know about it. I don't want to know about it. And so all it keeps, it maintains the problem for him and for the Diane Keaton character because now she's experiencing, I have a husband who doesn't want to know about our son. Now, she experiences it from her way. Now, us in, uh, the reason that scene is so powerful is because it's based on our own behaviors. It's based on how we think and how we behave, the things I don't want to know about. I don't want to go around that person because I don't want to hear what they have to say. And you know why? Because I don't want to be experiencing what I'm going to have to experience when I hear them talk. And so it's still back to me and my I am-ness. Because I am what I am, I may be what I will to be. And a lot of things I didn't even know I was willing. I didn't know I was willing to be unhappy. I didn't know I was willing to be miserable. I didn't know I was willing to be happy. I didn't know I was willing to experience a limp. I didn't know I was willing to fall down the steps. I didn't know I was willing to be annoyed or hurt or gleeful. I didn't know I was willing. I thought it was happening to me. But instead, it's me deciding. And this is the hard part about new thought. It's me deciding, but I don't have to hate myself because I have chosen poorly or chosen ignorantly, meaning without understanding. I don't have to be mad at myself. I don't have to be guilty. Even if somebody tells me I should be guilty, no. That's their interpretation of me. It's not my interpretation of me. I am with spirit, and spirit's not telling me to be guilty. What spirit tells me is, wake up. You have an opportunity to be gleefully happy. You have an opportunity to be joy-filled and know that you are loved at every moment of every day. That's the superconscious mind in me, and that's what it's telling me. And then it's trying to tell the conscious mind in me that listens to the world lying to me all day long. The world, the traffic, lies to me and says, oh, you should be annoyed because you're in traffic. You should be worried because you're this age. You should be devastated because you have this amount of money in the bank, and I'm not going to say only you have, but you have this amount. You could only be happy if you had this amount. And I guarantee you, if you had this amount, you wouldn't be happy. Because there'd be some other problem. We'd be back to the one who doesn't seem to like me at meetings. We'd be back <laughs> to the grocery store clerk who's surly. We'd be back to the traffic. Because no matter how much money I have, I'm going to be in traffic somewhere unless I stay home all the time. So, well, I could fly there. Well, have you heard of air traffic <coughs> and the control of it? And so to uh, 
realize, oh, I, what I will. I didn't know I was willing. Turns out I am. So to pay attention to that. You know, if we are grounded by dis-ease, some part of our body hurts or aches or whatever, and uh, we still have a choice of how to experience it. Not everybody experiences dis-ease with misery or why me? Yeah, the body, the body, uh, it's faulty. And some days it just aches. You know, I stretch, I lift too much, I do this, I do whatever. Uh, or I somehow said yes to a tumor, or I did whatever without knowing it. Unwittingly. But many of us in this room know that those things can be healed and have been. Many of us in this very room have laid hands on someone and seen them heal. Many of us have had hands laid on us and been healed. Many of us have had a new thought and a physical healing happened instantly. Many of us, and we still don't believe it. We still don't believe that. <clears throat> I love this. This comes from his book, Bible Mystery and Bible Meaning, and he says, for what we do not act up to, we do not really believe. Meaning for what we do not live up to in our daily thinking and behaviors, we do not really believe. So we can all say, I believe in healing, I believe in this and I did, but if we're not living in it, we don't really believe it. We know about it. We don't yet believe, you believe from your experience. And even then it's questionable. I have witnessed this and still I don't believe it. How many, I remember when I walked on fire. I can walk on fire, by the way, uh, without getting burned. And, uh, but I remember uh, my, my instructor the first year, she said, now, after you walk on this fire tonight, don't look at your feet till tomorrow. Don't look at your feet. And that first night I walked twice across the coals and into a pail of water and I didn't go near my feet except to walk on them, but I didn't look at them. Because she watched a woman, my teacher watched a woman one year. She got off the fire. She said, I can't believe I didn't get burned. Suddenly all these sores kept coming out and everything. Hmm. Because suddenly, I can't believe. Well, there you go. You proved it. <clears throat> I believed that I could walk on fire and not get burned. I needed a little encouragement from my teacher. Right at that point when I was about to take the first step, she said, you can do it. And that was enough. And off I went. And I didn't get burned. And the next morning I showered. And then I looked at my feet. And everything was lovely. Pink and rosy. I had pretty feet. And I, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I was fine. And I went back the next year and did it again. Twice. I walked across that fire. But I knew, don't look, don't check to see if you got hurt. Don't do it. And I was fine again the next morning. I showered, and uh, I was, I've been fine ever since. So I know I could walk on fire and not get burnt. A lot of us are looking. For, uh, this is one of my favorite stories. I was in Atlantic City several years ago, and uh, but I hadn't been there in a lot of years, and I didn't walk the way I used to. I lived up here at that point, and, and I remember I was walking on the boardwalk. I said, oh, I got cramps. 
My feet hurt. I got a cramp in my leg this way before the fall. But I, uh, I got a cramp in my leg. Oh my God, how am I going to make it through one day here with this? And I thought, oh, oh, I called a couple of friends to tell them how much it hurt. Ah, uh, cause I like to share my pain. And, uh, <laughs> and then I remembered an incident where I said, wait a minute, I don't have to be in pain. And I started walking normally. I said, just walk normally as if you're not in pain. And I did. And I didn't have any pain. I said, oh, the pain went away. Where'd it go? Oh, I found it. <laughs> and I did. I thought, I controlled this. I completely controlled this. There was a point in my early 40s where I had, what's that, fasciitis, where your heel hurts and stuff. Oh, I remember getting up in the morning and, oh, this hurts like crazy just to walk to the bathroom. And I, and I remembered the healing stories and all the studies I'd done. And I thought, I don't have to be in pain. And I walked normally. I didn't have to maintain that. I looked for that pain, and I found it. And when I stopped looking, it wasn't there anymore. We have to pay attention to that. We have to. You know, it's one thing to be in mourning for what we think we have lost. To experience that sadness. We haven't lost anything. It's just shape-shifted. In our lives, things shape-shift. People shape-shift. And they leave our presence in their physical form. But have they left us? No. No, they have not. But it's still normal to cry and to weep and to feel it. Because it's different. That's really what it is. It's different. But we are still just as loved as we ever were. I just can't pick up the phone and hear it from that being. And that hurts my feelings some days. But I refuse to sit in a place that says my life, that there is good absent from my life because I don't have the physical presence of this being unless I decide to. It doesn't mean I should be gleeful. I should feel what comes to mind, but not create, not create an absence of good. I think I told you one night from my... My very, very good friend died a few weeks ago. I, uh, within an hour, I could, I had a vision. I didn't create it. I saw it. Why walking freely and happily? A great mood, not talking to anybody, but his big smile, just smiling, his beautiful teeth, and walking young and thin, and just free. And I thought, well, I wouldn't take that away from him, so that I could have him here in the body. And so I, uh, I let him go. I've since had a dream. I've since had a couple of signs that I didn't even ask for. Because he gave me so much, I wasn't going to ask for anything more. And, and so to see all that, because I am what I am, I may be what I will to be. My individuality is one of the modes in which the infinite expresses itself. And therefore I am myself that very power which I find to be the innermost within of all things. Listen to this. Therefore, whatever may be the nature of our anxiety, we should endeavor to dispel it by the consideration that there may be already existing other facts which we, which we do not know of, which will produce a different result from the one we fear. We're listening to this. And in that, in any case, there is a power which can produce new facts. In answer to our appeal to it, I'll read it again. Therefore, whatever may be the nature of our anxiety. Okay, we're set with that, right? We're worried about something. 
We're worried about the outcome. We should endeavor to dispel it by the consideration that there may already be existing other facts which we do not know of, which will produce a different result from the one we fear. And that in any case, there is a power which can produce new facts in answer to our appeal to it. Imagine, I know of people, I know of people in this room who are afraid of dying. They fear death. And so they're anxious about it all the time. They get an ache, they get a pain, they get a something, they get a this, a thought, a phone call, whatever. And so, imagine considering that there may be different existing other facts that you don't know about that will produce a different result from the one you fear, that will produce the result of life and life more abundant and produce healing in the mind, in the body, in the pocketbook, in the whatever, the relationships. that will, There are other facts that will produce a belief in the power to heal. There are other facts that exist. And how do we know? Because other people have done it. And so rather than sitting here being afraid of dying, being afraid of losing something good, instead consider, wait a minute. So I'm experiencing this now, and I think the fact is it could kill me. But what if there's another fact that it could actually bring about a great healing, and I would believe more in healing and life than I do in death? And so to begin to live with these considerations. Try it, is what I'm suggesting. We're here above the Ford dealership on a Sunday morning. <laughs> We're bringing this stuff up to have new thoughts, new ideas, new considerations. And it doesn't mean if you know somebody at home who's tough for you to go home and yell at them, do you know there's other things to consider? Don't do that. That will not help them. <laughs> <laughs> if you are uncomfortable, I'm hearing the tough one sometimes for me. If you are uncomfortable with someone who doesn't know how to consider something else, look at your own sense of victimization, your own sense of unhappiness, displeasure, and say, mm, I would like to consider that there are other facts than this that have produced my anxiety, and that this that I see as annoying, irksome, whatever, could bring me to peace and to joy and to love. You know, it's, it works on both ends, wherever we are. It's never about the other person. It's never what you do, you make me crazy, is no more true than you made me love you. It's a nice song. But it's not true. You didn't make me love you. You didn't make me, you didn't drive me crazy. My thoughts, my thoughts, my thoughts. We're only on a couple more here. Relying on the maxim that principle is not bound by precedent, we should not limit our expectations of the future. And if our speculations lead us to the conclusion that we have reached a point where we are not only able, but also required by the law of our own being to take a more active part in our personal evolution than heretofore. This discovery will afford us a new outlook upon life and widen our horizon with fresh interests and brightening hopes. Everybody, 
Uh, relying on the maxim that principle was not bound by precedent. Precedent. Let's just look at that. Principle is not bound by precedent, meaning just because it happened before in a way that uh, I didn't like doesn't mean that we're stuck with that. Principle plays out according to our thoughts, but principle is still principle. We should not limit our expectations of the future. It's okay to imagine something wonderful. We have a power of imagination. We should imagine something wonderful and see what steps we could take today to experience joy within it. And finally, according to your faith, be it unto you. Observe your faith in peace and joy and love and life. Sing a glad song. Love yourself. Find songs to sing to yourself of love and joy and beauty. Find songs. You know, you've lost that love and feeling. It's a good song, but it's not the message we want. <laughs> it's got a good beat. It's got a good groove. But it's not the message we want to sing to ourselves. We want to sing, help us on the way. From places I don't know about today. That's the consideration of new facts. Listen to your heart. Oh, is that a song cue? Uh, <laughs> listen to your heart. Your heart is not telling you to be miserable. Your past is. Your heart today, your mind is not telling you to be unhappy. Your heart and mind are not telling you to, to, uh, that there is a loss, a true loss in your life, and that you can never be happy. Your heart is telling you, you're good. Can't not be good, so is your neighbor, whether you like him or her or not. <clears throat> your heart. <clears throat> listen, listen, listen to the love that's in your heart talking to you today uh, about the good that you are. Miss Nancy, you coming back up? Mm -hmm.